Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague and also comic relief, Michael Dwyer. Comic relief or sidekick? Well, I've received a number of emails from people telling me that I need to have you on the show because I am too dark on my own and you are needed to lighten the mood. So basically I'm roughage. I mean, I wouldn't want to describe you like that, Michael, but if you're going to describe yourself like that, I wouldn't comment. Yes, the thought is the category of you could say that, but I couldn't possibly comment. But anyway, to start off, Michael, I think we need to uh, take a moment to think of uh, someone who doesn't get their fair shot, Michael. Someone who's got to be particularly seething now. Phil Hogan. Phil? What? Because Phil Hogan recently had to resign on grounds, I think, were ridiculous. uh, And he very clearly got pushed into doing that by the Irish government. Yes. But Michael, it's not the first time Phil Hogan has had to resign from something. And do you remember what led to Phil Hogan's uh, resignation from Irish politics? Well, his departure. um, God, I'm drawing an absolute blank here, Gary. Remind me. Well, if you remember, there was an issue with someone leaking uh, details of the budget. Yes, yes, indeed, yes. Which is the most terrible of all sins. Yeah, yeah, and um, Phil Hogan, I think it was 1995. He was a junior minister. He was a junior finance minister. Mm-hmm. Part of what well, was the Rainbow Government, wasn't it? Yeah, Bruton was Taoiseach. Yeah, Finnega, Labour and the Democratic Left. 94 to 97. Got on longer than anyone thought it would. Rory Quinn, Minister of Finance, did a good job. Hmm. <laughs> okay, go on, anyway. I mean, this was only three years after Charles Haughey had resigned. So, you know, giants of Irish politics resigning all over the place. So Hogan had um, he'd sent financial details of the budget to the media before it could be announced. Yeah. And uh, the opposition went mental. And uh, I think the Taoiseach had to come in, make a full and formal apology. And then uh, Fianna Fáil basically brought Phil Hogan down. Back in the good old days in Fianna Fáil, you had to do things. Well, I mean, they were absolutely cross because someone from Fine Gael had leaked details of the budget and, you know, they did what any legitimate political party would do and, you know, sought their pound of flesh. Do you think that's really pissing off Phil Hogan now because it looks like Leo Varadkar did exactly that thing this week and absolutely nothing will happen to him? Leaky Leo. Yeah, that's not a, that's not a nickname you want. Leo the Leak, I believe, is the, uh, is the official... Oh, it's at the official hashtag. Mm. So Leo leaks details of the budget as it's being read into the doll. And right. I believe sent out the press release before it was actually announced. And absolutely nothing will happen to him. Because nothing can happen to him. Because what are you going to do about it? But I imagine Phil Hogan, he's been brought down once by Fianna Fáil. Then he's brought down again by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Yeah. And then Fine Gael does the thing he was originally brought down for and nothing happens. And precisely the guy that basically shafted him from Finnegan this time round is the guy that does it. Yeah, so it's a lovely closed circle. Would you say that pissed him off? I, I get the impression that Phil is, doesn't need extra things to piss him off right now, but this, uh, this, won't have, this won't have dampened down the fires of his furies, put it that way. I'm sure that it will have just helped a little bit, a little bit more, more wood on the fire, a little bit more coal on the burner into the raging wildfire that is Phil Hogan's hate. <laughs> well, yeah, then again, maybe he'll cool down once he recognises this, of course. As we all know, revenge is a dish 
a dish best served cold. Where would Phil Hogan find knives, anyway? Well, Phil might observe that he could take them out of his back. Ah, oh, no, several of those went in the front. Well, that's... there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a truth to that. Um, I don't... It, you're a young, young man, you're too young to remember this, but there was a time, seriously, when to leak something from the budget was regarded as just a, this heinous high crime. I mean, going back to the 19th century, the idea that... Because if you something from the budget could affect the markets, it could affect... Oh, anything, commodity prices, share prices, equities, whatever, who knows. Uh, it was just something you didn't do. You could leak, I don't know, the upcoming bill on the protection of hedgehogs or something. That would be, get away with that. But leaking the budget was a very, very bad thing. And now we have the tarnish to doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you see, I'm, I'm younger than you, Michael, so I don't ever remember the times when we cared about standards. Uh, oh, I cared about... Did we care about standards or did we look like or did we say we cared about standards? Like I was, I was what, I was three or four when Hockey resigned. Oh, sad day, sad, sad day, that man. And he gave that great speech in the doll of the quoting Othello of a man who had given the state some service. And then the brief interregnum of Albert, who then discovered that Hawhey was right all the time. Bertie was the cutest and the slyest of them all. Yeah, I think that the, the Hawhey years, they were good years. People have forgotten what it is to threaten a minister with defenestration. <laughs> and I think that's a tradition that we really need to bring back. He was not, by reputation, the kindest of men at times with his ministers. However, I'm told by people who worked with him, I was told many years ago, that he was very decent to his civil servants and very nice to the ladies who made the tea. And as I said, every person I talk to, whoever bribed Tahi, speaks very highly of him. People, every time I say that, people seem to think I'm making a comment or trying to insinuate something there. I'm not. They all speak really highly of him. And they don't need to. They were bribing him. That doesn't mean they had to like him. And he was, as they say, for rent but not for sale. But that brings us on to the matter of a new leak. Because remember, we had a Neffet letter leaking a couple of weeks ago that recommended the country go to uh, level 5. And it was assumed that this had been leaked by Neffet themselves um, in order to put pressure on the government. Yes. Destruct and another Neffet call has been leaked saying that they're again recommending that the country goes to level 5. But you know what, Michael? I remember a couple of weeks ago saying um, that we don't know that letter was leaked by Neffet. It absolutely could have government sources. And it wouldn't be surprising. And now it looks like this one definitely came from government sources. So why is the government leaking these things? And actually, it kind of... This one actually kind of pissed me off. Because the government, or someone close enough to the government to get access to this leaks the news that Neffet is looking for a move to level five. Yeah. And then the government goes away for the weekend. Yeah. So, and leaves the country hanging in the balance. Yeah. So everyone gets this spike of, oh shit, is that going to happen? Do I need to get a haircut? Anything could happen. Mm-hmm. That's how I measure levels of severity here. The How soon I need to get a haircut. And then they just fuck off for the weekend. That actually kind of irritated me. Yeah, also because it's it's you, you have the leak, and then you have the you have the other comments going around going on around the, the in the context of the leak. So, for example, say you take um, the Minister for Education, Norma, right? A few days ago, there well for the for a week or so, there'd be a lot of these a lot of noise going around suggesting that after the midterm break there would be another week 
uh, of extended break where teaching would be done through distance and this maybe was going to be like a, 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 a trial run or something but or maybe part of the famous circuit breaker who knows but then that was absolutely no 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 schools are going to be back we're not closing schools and then we we're told again that this absolutely sure certain about the schools and then the next day was well the science is telling us that particularly uh, schools especially young children under the age of whatever are not don't represent a, a, a real problem but by mentioning one group you kind of draw your attention to the other group that aren't included in the not problematic and then a day later norma says well you know we want to keep the schools up but we will take advice obviously we will take advice as is prudent and reasonable to do so 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 we've gone from this so now you have people going you've got teachers wondering are they going to have are they going to be teaching next week are they uh, are they are they going to do they have to go to do they have to bring their books home or leave them in the school you have parents thinking well what am i going to do if the school closes because let's face it and you know it's not a small thing and i'm not saying this is a small thing one of the principal reasons why we are absolutely committed to keeping schools open is because they represent um, the single largest source of child care in the country if you if you can't put your kids in school where are you going to put them i mean, i know of a, of, of a couple of people anyway you probably do yourself gary who have been presented with a problem where because of circumstances and close contacts and suspected outbreaks that they've had to take time off from work or had their spouse take time off from work to stay at home and mind the child because they didn't have any choice until the the tests in both cases thankfully came clear but it's a it's a real real problem and a very real worry for people and now so we we, we don't know there's a there's a, there's a government there's a there's a, there's a meeting of leaders but that the decision is going to be made today or tomorrow we probably there's going to be full cabinet i think is it a full cabinet on monday should be i i am enjoying all of this well we can't do anything because we need the full cabinet yeah sort of go do none of you have phones? Are these people totally... Can no one be contacted? Apparently you need... It has to be done there. and For a full and frank exchange of views and a proper debate to take place. Because at the end of the day, obviously, if the three leaders of the parties were to all come down on one side, it would still have to go to Cabinet and have to be voted on because they're not going to just tell the ministers what, the hell, what they're going to do. That would never happen. No, so instead we have a wonderful weekend of... I don't know what I can do next week because someone, probably someone from the government, leaked information. Now this is this is the second. This is now a series of leaks, and I'm just not sure what the point of them is. You you also can't we can't assume that in a coalition government that everybody is leaking in the same direction. Different people may have different agendas. Why does Nefert exist? Does it exist? simply and purely as a source of expert advice for the government upon whose recommendations and information and advice the government then makes an executive decision or is it a condom to protect the government from the decisions that it has to make so you leak it you prep it you see what the reaction is you think "Mm, we can get away with somebody very cynically said well we won't be able to do this make a decision until at least tuesday because we won't have proper time to talk and to consult as cynic said to me yes and that won't and, and we won't have the results of the polling in until then as well mm. now that obviously is a very cynical position I I, I I doubt it but it is 
is it now the state are they using effort as a way of frightening the people and then saying well you know we stood up to you we stood up for you for against those horrible doctors who wanted to put you out of work and take your children out of school and we, we're going to only do this or is it because they feel they actually have to do this but they're they're too scared to actually pull to bite the bullet and go for five so they have to again use nephis as the bogeyman you know they also but at the same time the problem is that there's there was a feeling that there that they were that nephit but at least the perception and that was the critique wasn't it that Neffet were whose was job was to advise the government and therefore they should go to government and if they were leaking it was because they were they were assuming onto themselves a power and an authority which they did not have and should not have in a democratic state and therefore basically it was a way of undermining and the effort of getting people to uh, to turn on them yeah this has this has the stink of a Fine Gael thing about it and do you know why I say that Michael leaky 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 Leo no 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 it's because of the tendency inside Fine Gael to do things that are slightly too smart. They do like a smart move. They do. Yeah. They Like the sort of thing where you're like, it might work. And then it backfires catastrophically because it's just that little... It moves from... It's it's the sort of thing for people who haven't realised that there's a difference between being a smart ass and being smart. It's also a little... I think you might be right on that because it also has that characteristic that a lot of... Philly's very clever ideas have had over the last couple of decades is that it's it's all about what today's newspapers and tomorrow's newspapers will say without really thinking well what happens the third and the fourth day of this new story maybe actually we start looking like incompetent shits after by by day four and it isn't really going to work very well for us i also saw i don't know if you saw this alan farrell who no. is a finnegale td Yep. Um, coming out on Twitter and saying that uh, it appears that Neffet are briefing the media again ahead of its primary function of advising cabinet, causing speculation and worry. If this leaking continues, questions must be asked as to whether or not the body is fit for purpose yes. in its current form. Now, yeah. two things I will note about this. Uh, he's using Twitter's new function, which means you can't reply to that message. Yeah. But he does say questions must be asked, just not of him. <laughs> and I mean the second thing I do have to say is that I am just really glad Michael that Alan Farrell has made a total recovery from those hideous injuries he suffered in that minor car crash well I'm sure we we, we all join in you, your good wishes towards him oh I mean it must have been a horrific car crash because he sued for 15,000 Michael it could have been worse Gary he could have drunk some sour milk I mean, he only, in the end, got 2,500 because uh, a judge ruled he hadn't received a significant injury and that his case was unusual in some way. He'd be going for whiplash, actually, which I believe is medically very difficult to prove that someone doesn't have. And um, God, do you remember, Michael, he, he said he had back and uh, neck and shoulder injuries that were flaring up and they were affecting his personal and professional life. And... Um, then didn't photos come out of him playing? Was it a football game or was it a rugby game, Michael? 
Back pain is one of the mysteries of medicine, Gary. You can be crippled one day and the next day you can be fine. It comes, it goes, it, it moves. It, it's it's an absolute nightmare for, yeah, for the and, and person suffering. Enough, he, he then went on Twitter and shared a photo of him at the match and said it was an enjoyable game. But weirdly enough, that was during the period where he says he was suffering from these injuries. So that must have been, I can only admire his uh, commitment and desire to honour his word, Michael. Because obviously he said he'd do this before. And yes. Farrell would never lie about something. No, no. Uh, no in no. order to you know make it easier for himself or to personally gain. And so therefore he took to the pitch in terrible pain. And, yeah. Um, the, the Irish Sun did a did, did a uh, article on it. Uh, a source told them that it was a competitive game with the tackles flying in. No holding back. It was also with the, uh, the Bar Council of Ireland. So one can only imagine... How dirty that was! Oh, yeah, some dirty tackles, some low blows. I'm sure going in there, fish hooks and the lo- uh, uh, fish hooks and the works. Yeah, tough. God, God, probably if you shook him, he would have been so full of salpidine, he would have rattled. And it, it was actually quite amazing. He got so badly hurt, Michael, because the driver of the um, the car, the the other car, so it was a van. Yes, Gary said that uh, the contact was so gentle. Uh, the exact phrase was, it was so gentle, I could not have replicated it if I tried. Absolutely no damage to either vehicle. Disbelief he could sustain any injury. And she'd very gently rolled into his car um, after Spider got on her and she took her foot off the brake. Right. And uh, a passenger in that car said that she didn't even think there was any contact between the cars. But it just goes to show you, Michael, how unreliable witness testimony can be. Uh, when clearly Mr. Farrell was deeply injured. Also, there was that photo of him climbing up to hang up election posters during the period of the pain. But again, I think that just shows us the level of commitment that Aaron Farrell has and in no way should be taken to indicate that Alan Farrell would be better to keep his head down for the rest of this term. Yeah, we can only lament, Gary, that we don't have the kind of... uh methodologies are used initially in this where they use the, the the telemetrics from the cars computers that are involved in these accidents to measure the force mm. because if it tap if the force of the accident falls below a certain thresholds Italian courts don't even entertain uh, any claims for injuries now I'm sure in this case the telemet- the telemetry would have shown quite clearly that there had been some kind of gross and severe shock to the the poor man's body and he would have been sufficiently hurt. Unfortunately, we don't have that here. And I think maybe that's something that Alan could actually campaign on. I, yeah, but I, I think when I, you know, I have to uh, put forward a little bit of doubt in what Alan is saying, not because I think he's lying. Or no, he's trying no, to no, 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 of course But not. if you remember during that case, Michael, yeah. when it got to court and Alan was given a picture of his car after the... Um, the, the tragic ramming mm-hmm. and he was asked to point out any scratches to his car not even damage scratches and Farrell said um, that the photo wasn't really clear to him so I mean obviously there's a man with um, maybe some vision problems or maybe just a general perception issue because, so I think yeah. if he's so certain effort or briefing I you know again not because I think he's lying or because he would ever do such a thing do have to kind of go, well, maybe it's Fine Gael. I, I like the use of the, uh, uh, what um, Professor, uh, Dr. Rather, Dr. Dalrymple 
uh, has described as the psychopathic's passive. You know, um, questions must be asked. It, it, uh, Dr. Alban, we took, um, I did a, Anthony Daniels, that is, I did a, a, an interview with some time ago. He wrote a very, uh, one of his earliest published articles he was talking about when he, we talked to people who'd been involved in sort of, you know, activities that were not considered to be societally beneficial. He said, for, he, he, one guy who had been put into prison for stabbing another man several times, he said uh, something, he said this and I said that, and then the knife went in. <laughs> it's a lovely distancing of agency there, isn't there? The knife went in. It's like, in, in this case, you have questions must be asked. Now, I'm not saying who should ask the questions or where they are questions, but th these questions should be asked. It's a lovely, lovely use of the passive. Anyway, I think that's that's enough on Mr. Farrell. I, as I said, I am just very glad that it was a tragedy that he didn't receive the fifteen thousand he had sued for. Uh, but it's good to know that he has fully recovered, and is uh, back on Twitter making keen observations as as always. I suppose. Mm -hmm. I, did you um, just to, to mention before we move on to actually yeah. something important? Did you see? You know when you read something in the newspaper and you assume there's more to it and they're just not giving it to you? Yes. So there's a thing about um, Leo came out and said that uh, one of the things they're considering to make things easier on people is giving people the legal right to request home working. Yes. I, it was very I, clear to say that doesn't mean they'll get it, but the right to request it. Now, I assume there's more to that because the right to request... You, you, I, I'm not big into human rights, Michael. As you know, I think they're nonsense. Yes. And that international law is just a fantasy held aloft by power. But I don't think people need a legal right to be able to ask to work from home. I feel that's something that you can do without working, you know, without a legal a law backing you up. It just seems like... like can I work from home? Yes, Kerry. See, that there you seemed, go. That, that seemed fairly easy. I, I, I thought it went quite well. Uh, it does feel a little bit like a half a sentence, doesn't it? You, you have to imagine that there needs to be a little bit more than simply the right to ask. I mean, if that is the entire thing, you imagine that someone would just stop and go, but why? I mean, what would... Like, we've talked before about giving the appearance of doing things while actually achieving nothing. I think the legal right to request to work from home, right up there. Well, I think maybe it's a bit like, they may, we may, for example, see if it again introduce the right to want to own a house. I mean, Michael, is there a, is there a law that gives you a legal right to ask for additional hours or for pay increases? There isn't, but uh, that isn't to say that there shouldn't be. Or is there, Michael, is there an explicit law which says that uh, minorities or women have the right to work in STEM, for instance. Has that been the problem all this time? It may have been. Are we going to... Should we say that women should have the right to say that they want to work in STEM? I mean, if this is the standard of law that we're now considering, that would seem to be entirely appropriate. But also, if we start bringing in laws like this and then we don't bring that in, well, that would, on the face of it, seem to be sexist. I, I'm sorry, I just, I, I'm just stuck here on a scene from the life of Brian where Loretta has announced that she wants to be called Loretta and she wants to have babies. And they decide that while she can't have babies, 
not having a uterus, which is nobody's fault, not even the Romans, they do decide that they will support her right to want to have babies, which is going to be symbolic of their struggle against imperialist uh, colonialist oppression. The other character says it's more actually uh, symbolic of her desire to not deal with reality, but it, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of missing the meat of this. I, 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 maybe, maybe there's going to be a special committee set up on things that we should have the right to ask for. I assume there is more to it than this, because it just on the face of it doesn't make any sense to me. Other than on the assumption that people here right to work from home and everything in between just dissolves into the ether. <laughs> and it seems like you're giving people something. And so I, I don't even want to mock this because it's yes, you so do. insubstantial. Don't, don't, no, don't lie. If I knew there was nothing else, I would land on this with both feet. But I assume there has to be something else because this is so insubstantial that like you could just put your hand through it. But why would you publish it if it is? I mean, why, why would this? Why waste ink and paper on reporting something which is so utterly tissue paper thin? We will wait, Gary. We wait with bated breath for the for the second half of the sentence for the other policy shoot drop. He was he was speaking at an event and he was asked, "Was there enough being done to encourage employers?" to let staff work from home. And he said that there was going to be a public consultation on the issue. And then they were also looking at things like this. But it's like, sure, I'd love Michael. A law that allows you to ask for good governance. Think of the problems. Just across the board, uh, it's, it's, just a, it's just a real winner, I think. You're not going to get many people against that bill. Well, no. Um, I think you... you... <laughs> You would give a lot, a lot of lawyers uh, uh, some fair old fun time trying to fight what good governments might good governance might be. But other than that, no. Well, as uh, long as you can only hope for it, it's not a problem because it's not going to have any fucking effect. Well, yes, but that's a bit like most aspirations in Irish politics. Now, before we get to something that's actually interesting, before we get to the French issue, yes, I have. I've only seen this in the Irish Times. I haven't seen this anywhere else. Um, it was reported by Ronan McCreevy, and he was reporting on statements that had been made by one of the HSE officials. So it was uh, Dr. Colin, Colin Henry, I think. He's the HSE's national clinical advisor. And he was talking about um, COVID deaths. Yes. But he said something very interesting, something that I haven't heard anywhere else. Yes. So we've talked before, Michael, about asymptomatic cases and how the, the case fatality rate makes the disease look substantially more lethal than the infection fatality rate, mm -hmm. which the HSE has told me they are not collecting. That they collected once as part of a study months ago and have not done anything on it since. But he said that 80% of those testing positive for COVID-19 at present have either mild symptoms are totally asymptomatic yeah so that would mean for every one person who has a moderate to severe COVID-19 case there will be four who either have no symptoms or have incredibly mild symptoms yes that seems like a message that people might want to know 
yeah, but it's is this news? I, I say this I say this because there was a report published um, in the United Kingdom um, a week more than a week ago and it was published it was a new study done by researchers at University College London. According to this study, 86% uh, of people who tested positive for COVID-19 did not have virus symptoms, such as cough, fever, loss of taste or smell. The study findings collated, collected rather, by the Office for National Statistics uh, highlight the role of asymptomatic patients in the spread of the virus. So that was 86% had no symptoms, which is kind of a lot. That is quite a lot, but you know as I know, Michael, from talking to the TDs, we don't like British research. No, we don't. We don't. We have we have a an odd uh, attitude to it, even though these people tend to be pretty good. I mean, University uh, University College London, I think, is rated one of the top ten research universities in the world, or top twenty anyway. It's certainly one of the top. It's 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 not like. It's not a hedge school, shall we say, Gary. Uh, so I, I would take it fairly seriously. I'm not saying that I haven't checked the methodology as you would have done, because frankly, if I did, it would be, it would be much like a cow looking in a bush. But I'm going to take on faith that they have done a reasonable job since it was also, the, the stats were also checked and collected by the UK National Statistics Body. That, it would, it, that would, this is a piece of information that could even be interesting to the Irish. It would, I mean, that figure would be on the higher end of what I would expect to see, but not out of the bounds of belief, uh, depending on exactly who's being tested and how wide the testing program is. But we know from some of the controlled groups, particularly the cruise ships, that somewhere in the region of at least 60% of cases would be asymptomatic and then kind of moving upwards or downwards, depending on other circumstances. It's just I haven't heard anyone discuss it in Ireland. I know we've brought it up, and I think... I'm not sure if I've written anything in gripped on it. I'm not sure if I've actually... I, I may have written one or two, but I'm not sure. It just hasn't really been mentioned. It's not really part of the conversation here. Now, just to clarify slightly, the point I just read here, uh, the point that the thing is... The, the, the article is making, it says... In the in the context of the the test, the, the sample was the uh, thirty six thousand people living in the north of Ireland, England, and Wales were included in the study. They were tested between April to June. Of the participants, zero point thirty three two percent of the had a positive test result. Of those who tested positive. 16 or 13.9 reported symptoms while 99 or 86% did not so I'll quickly here is that the 76% of the random sample which tested positive reported no symptoms and 86% reported none of those which are specific to COVID so 76% had no symptoms at all and 86% but there were some who did have symptoms of mild symptoms of, of, of illness, but none of the symptoms that they had were those which were like anosmia, like loss of smell or loss of taste, which are specific to COVID. So 80% did not have those which were reported non-specific to COVID. It's, um, as I said, it's 
it's not new research. It's just this is the only time I've ever seen it mentioned in Ireland from someone in the HSE. And it's the only time I've seen this figure reported or anything really on this figure from the Irish Times. Yeah. I thought that was interesting because the Irish Times in particular seems to be... I mean, the media was in lockstep on COVID-19 for months. There was no questioning. There was no real pushback on anything. There was just a... I mean, we had journalists openly saying, you know, you've got to put on the green jersey and support the government. And I think now there seems to be more of a sort of... No, no, hold on here a second. Like, you actually need to explain that. Do you remember journalists getting annoyed because the GAA wanted yeah. to actually be given research yes. when people demanded they close? Yes, I do. this was an offensive, terrible thing? Yes. I do. And one of the things here that we have adverted to before, like there's talk about going into a level five lockdown. Now, we know that that will involve the destruction immediately. Even a level four lockdown, but certainly level five lockdown, will involve the destruction of many tens of thousands of jobs, some of which will not come back. So this is a very serious thing. It's going to cause a massive amount of misery in the country. And, okay, you have to, in the context of this story, it's worth pointing out that it was announced that we are now going to move towards accelerating access to rapid testing with with the the anti-antigen testing. And we're going to have those by the end of the year, we hope, right? Now, the, one of the points the English testing, the, the, the English study makes is that it's clear that silent transmission is an issue with this. So, taking a, if you take, for example, the, we, we have decided that it's very important and, and, and it's correct that schools stay open. So, if you are a, say you're a teacher and... You are uh, you've been, you you're a you're a close contact of somebody who has been who is has is displaying symptoms or has been tested positive, and you ring up your head your 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 principal, you'll be instructed come to work. On the, the conditions for you not coming to work would be that the, you've been in co- close contact with somebody who's tested positive, that you had spent four hours with that person four hours but that that during those four hours that the, that uh, that person's had not been wearing a mask and that you're displaying symptoms otherwise you come into work now the italians have been using these spit tests for quite some time they developed their own and well done to them they have a pharma industry apparently we don't i i i if the and it's clear that one of the big problems with this is silent transmission between from asymptomatic people. Well, I say it's clear. I don't know if it's clear. Maybe it's not. I know that in some jurisdictions, there's t- people are being tested, and if they're coming off and testing positive, and they're testing positive, but they're asymptomatic, they're not counted as cases. They're counted as positive tests with no symptoms, but not listed as a case. So I don't know. Is that how? Is it being decided now that if you're asymptomatic, you're not contagious? 
I don't know. I would I would like to know the answer to these things. I'd like to have been more than one story in the Irish Times about this. Uh, a little bit of explanation would have been would be useful. Or is that asking? Well, considering the pushback they got when the on the advert they ran, uh, the full page advert they ran during the week, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the what they actually do. Did you see that advert, by the way? The Irish Times. Mm. The fact checked article or advert. Yes, and I I really enjoyed seeing it, Michael, because the journal Gripped is an openly ideological platform. Yes, it makes no bones about that, and it tells you that. Which I know we've had a conversation before about biased and unbiased media, and my stance is that as long as media openly tells you what their bias is, there's not an issue with it. It's the real problem is media that tries to present itself as unbiased while pushing lines. So Gript is an openly ideological platform that is less ideologically conformist than the journal. I think would be fair to say. Yeah. It, it's ridiculous there seems to be something about the journal that takes people who are individually maybe kind of to the left or kind of you know mid-left and just drives them mad (laughs) okay so but i really liked to see the journal fact check of the ad that was in the irish times now i'll include a link to a photo of the ad for those who haven't seen it it was a full page ad on page five of the irish times paid for by a holding company that basically it it linked to the um, what do you call it the declaration the Great Barrington Declaration the, the Great the Great Barrington Declaration yeah Great Barrington Declaration and just listed a number of facts it had let's say eight facts I think on it and it was directed to the Irish government and just said look is there not a better way we could be doing this and um, went to the declaration and that pissed off the journal in fact the journal senior management at the journal one of them said that it was the wrong move to publish it another one said that the ad used the language of fascists so that pissed them off royally fascists it used the language of fascists used the language of the sorry they may have said the far right who attacked their uh who came outside their offices to harass them when they weren't there michael which must have been very traumatic so what was the language english well, I mean, yes, on a technical level, Michael, but that is the that is a sort of no, snide sorry, attitude. I, I was that just a man wondering that your privilege would speak with. I was just wondering if perhaps the advert had appeared also in Italian, because in maybe in that sense they thought it was the language of fascists. Because otherwise, I honest to God, you'd, I, to to read that article and to see that it was fascist or far right or the advert, it seems to me that you're going to have to twist so far behind your back. You're going to end up with the kind of injury that you get more than two and a half thousand quid from a judge for. I mean, I be- I don't really consider Italian to be a written language at all, Michael. I must say, you can't <laughs> convey the hand gestures through writing, and if you remove the hand gestures, you really don't have the full impact of Italian. I I think that I think you can read Dante even with your with your hands in your pockets. Yeah, oh, but in <laughs> translation, I just imagine someone gesticulating wildly at all times. I will leave that attack on the, the language that I love uh, to one side. and We shall go back to the journal. So the journal does a fact check of it. And it was great to see because I have had some real problem with journal fact checks before. During the abortion referendum, there was the big one where they got uh, John McGurk started trolling Susan Daly, 
who was then, I think, the editor and now is a higher position again about one of the fact checks, but kind of agreed with some of the pro-life positions. And the journal went back and edited the fact check. Right. And they highlighted some of the changes they made but didn't tell people about the main change they actually made. Mm -hmm. And that happened because John McGurk had the pro-life graphic teams, or he may have done it himself, uh, Photoshop journal fact check approved onto one of the pro-life posters, and they went mental. (laughs) Ah, well, no, that's just... That's just to annoy a person. It was was very funny, though. But they have... I don't don't put a lot of faith in them. I don't think so. McCork can't be be. a whore in fairness. (laughs) Yes, he can. But it was very funny at the time, particularly because of how angry they got. Yeah. That is our copyrighted material. We did not say that. We demand that be taken down. And you're like, he's just fucking with you. Just Mm. walk away. That's the winning move here. But I don't place a lot of trust in their fact checks. I don't think terribly highly of them. They used to be okay several years ago. Um, when they had a different guy doing them. But uh, now be, I, I don't think they're uh, terribly good. Uh, to be fair, Gary, as well, the notion, the, the very idea of fact-checking is... Uh, I, I'm sure it started off as a noble notion, but it's become a, it's been emptied out at this stage and hollowed out. It just, it's just a, a cover for... An, one ideological position or another. I mean, who watches the Watchman, Michael? And I think as the journal shows, you can become a fact checker while being openly ideologically driven. Although, am I right in saying that they are in some sort of sense, inverted commas here, a sort of licensed, recognised fact checker? Yes, for, they, they are for, a recognised fact checker. For, for fa- Facebook as well. Facebook uses them as a fact checker, doesn't it? Yeah. Which must so, be good for the business. Oh yes, I, yes, it must be. Well, I don't know the I don't know the details of that, but um, I would imagine there is a financial change there. So the journal did a fact check on it, and the headline is "Claim made in full page Irish Times ad about COVID nineteen deaths is false." Now, Michael, that's a very that's a that's a headline you actually need to think about for a second, because. If you've reviewed eight claims and you say claim made is false, one would assume that you mean that the ad is false. But claim is not the plural. It's singular, yes. There's a single claim that they were able to partially dispute. Oh, is this about what constituted a a COVID death? Yes, so the the ad had said that if you get hit by a bus and... um, you had COVID-19, you would be put down as a COVID-19 death. And there's a confusion about this because there was an answer given to the health committee, um, to uh, McNamara, I think, had asked the question. And it was about people who were put down as COVID deaths. Now, what would happen if you had COVID-19 and you died of something absolutely secondary is you'd be put down as a COVID-19 death. And then after... um, the state pathologist had had their way with your body. Yes. Um, they would probably want that to be phrased in a different way, but let's stick with that for now. 
um, then you'd be denotified and you would be taken off the list of COVID-19 deaths. Now, if it was something that could be connected to COVID-19 or you had a heart attack or something, then you'd probably stay on. And McNamara had asked a question about trauma cases, like if you were hit by a bus. And he got the answer back that they would be included as COVID-19 deaths and then the, the spiel about denotification. Now, it looks like that might not be the case. But it looks like that might not be the case in cases of extreme trauma in Ireland. Now, it's definitely happened in other countries. And I had thought I had heard of cases of it happened here. But they say that the HSE tells them that that's not actually happening. It's just everything up to being hit by a bus. Well, denotification definitely does happen because, I mean, we've all seen situations... No, no, the, the denotification, no- absolutely. The de- number of someone, deaths has declined. The denotification def- definitely happens. It's if someone who died of extreme trauma while they had COVID-19, would be included initially as a COVID-19 death. It's basically a very technical ground. It's also, admit, you can correct me here if I'm right, it, it's also to, as yet unclear to me that it is absolutely clear that even in the case of a, a, a bus hitting you, if you had tested positive in the previous 30 days for COVID or if you were brought to the hospital and they carried a test out in the hospital and you were found to be positive with COVID, it isn't absolutely clear that you wouldn't be required. They're saying they're saying the HS isn't doing it, but I don't know if they, have they given a sort of 100% blanket guarantee that this hasn't not... That's, that's the issue. It looks like that has happened in certain cases. And in the response to McNamara in the health committee, they did say that they would be counted as a COVID-19 de- then denotified. Now, they now told the journal that that doesn't happen. And in those cases, a person wouldn't be put on the list at all. But that's the kind of, like, that is the level of this fact check of just, if I could summarize the most, the, the most common line in this fact check would probably be this. Although that is technically correct. Mm-hmm. And it will then go on to say it um, it is misleading. But other than that, none of the other facts that they mention in any way can they say they're incorrect. Now, the HSE, when they were asked about the advert, said it drew the wrong conclusions, although the facts were themselves correct. Yeah, I saw one line, I think, from, I don't know if it was someone from the HSE or it was, a, it was quoted as a doctor saying, well, while the eight facts are actually correct, but... Which, you know, in fairness, if that sounds like a fact check. There's two things I want to make, two points about this fact check I want to make that people might not realise. And one is just about media positioning and how it can make a story appear one way or the other. And one is technical. The first one is the, the headline. Claim made in full page Irish Times ad about COVID-19 death is false. Even if that is an accurate headline, and I think it's better to say that contested, that claim is contested depending on effectively, which spokesperson of the HSE is correct. Mm -hmm. They still went through eight different claims and found that seven of them were true, unambiguously. And the eighth was possibly true. And chose to leave with claim made in full page ad is, is false. Yeah. That is a positioning. That is a decision to present this in the worst possible light that they could. With limited scope to do so, given that everything in it appears to broadly be correct. Yes. Even if the thing about buses is wrong, the denotification thing is actually interesting anyway. And considering that the HSE themselves have said at certain points that this is happening, 
I think it's perfectly reasonable for someone to say this is happening and reference the HSE, regardless of if they say, no, that's not actually happening. The second thing is this. Fact checks have a particular way they are done, in that they have claims, and then they are rated on a scale of false, nonsense, true, mostly false, mostly true. That does... There is an actual formal scale to this that, mm-hmm. that the journal uses, Michael. Yeah. And they don't use it in this article. In fact, there's not a single that I can see actual um, fact check result. And what they would normally do is every claim would have one of those. Yes. Uh, one of those. It would be, you know, be true, mostly true, be false, whatever. Nothing in this fact check is given that. So either the journal has changed how it's done or they deliberately decided that they were not going to do it in this fact check because they would have to say that the claims as they were made were either true or mostly true but misleading at the very best. Right. So I think it's a clear sign of someone who wants to come to a particular line and I think their problem is they went a little bit too far and now people are looking at it and commenting on it and going... But everything, you say everything in it is right. How can this be? I did see, I don't know if you saw it, um, it was one of the journal's editors, some guy on Twitter, responded to their comment by going, to to the fact check by going, so basically everything in it is right. This is a really weird article. Yes, I saw that. And they responded by uh, linking in his employer. Hmm. Which, for those who are not familiar with Twitter etiquette, it would basically... The the way I've heard it described is it would basically be like, you and I were having a disagreement, and I said something you didn't like, so you got out a speakerphone, called my employer, and just held it in front of me. It It is commonly used by people who are trying to get you into trouble. They are trying to create a difficulty for you, or they are trying to put down a marker that basically says, now you want to be careful here because there may be consequences for you. Yeah, it's not nice. I mean, at the rate, just, it's really, it's an unpleasant way of behaving. It's a bullying way of behaving. They're like children. Very graceless children. Yeah, no, it's, if we, moving on, if we're talking about how you frame a story with a headline, I think there's another story, rather important story, happening in France where we saw a newspaper which would fancy itself as one the world's greatest newspaper frame a story in a very odd way indeed. Yes, well, I mean, you know, uh, suspected knife crimes are terrible, Michael. If I, Yeah, I mean, it's police, French police should fatally shoot man after knife attack on street. Now... If you read that headline, it seems to me that the, the, the most important piece of the news there is the French police have shot a man. Whereas, now they did change the uh, they did change the headline afterwards to include the fact that they shot the man who had beheaded a teacher on the street. Well, I mean, Michael, he did bring it on himself. He was, as they say, asking for it. He was dressed provocatively in uh, photos of Muhammad. Yeah, isn't it wonderful? In, uh, I suppose, the, the world's longest-running version of a secular state, uh, 
where they once upon a time had temples to reason. And in a class, I think the man was a history teacher, but the class was uh, a class dedicated to the notion of free speech and free expression. As an exa as a, a didactic tool, he used the uh, images of the cartoons of Muhammad. And as we remember for some years ago, Je suis Charlie and all that. Uh, journalists, uh, cartoonists in Charlie Hebdo were murdered because they drew cartoons of the Prophet. Um, it looks like it's not gone away, Gary. Yeah, so he, uh, he <laughs> there is a certain amount of humour here, I think. Oh, God. In that he shows the, the, the cartoon in a freedom of expression class. Yeah. And gets decapitated for it. Which, I mean, you really wish the parent had sat in on that class. or I'm not sure if it was a parent or a teenager, actually. So, But you really wish that that student had sat in on like the full curriculum. Before deciding to decapitate him, I, I'd say certainly there's irony here. I'm willing to concede irony. Um, I, I'm also skeptical, but by the way, of the capacity of uh, even French education to convince people who are in the in the mindset of chopping your head off for doing this kind of thing that maybe doing a civics class four or five times in the year is going to actually I, I think i think the fact he went for decapitation shows us how encultured he was into french society i believe he didn't use a guillotine no but i mean michael he's a lone wolf you know he's he's a guy having to react to circumstances i don't i we cannot judge him for not having either the carpentry skill or the time or the money to fashion a guillotine so what you have to make use of what he had on hand. Are you saying that part of this story is that uh, the French educational system is not sufficiently dealing with the craft and artisan needs of students? So that you got you're not having carpentry classes where students can learn the practical skills involved in constructing a functioning guillotine. If those artisanal skills had been passed on properly, we could have avoided this terrible tragedy. Well, we could have avoided. Certain particulars of this. No, no, it was a tragedy that he wasn't able to more fully honour French tradition. And that, I think, Michael, is a tragedy. It's the real tragedy here, actually. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm desperately trying to dodge bullets here, Gary, um, that you're firing at me. And I don't know, I mean, I'm just hearing the phrase, you know, the hill he chose to die on. I, 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 <laughs> I you know, I, I think we agree there was a charity, uh, tragedy, Michael. So oh, I, we, I, we agree I, on I, that. We agree. We do. I think we, we are in large agreement about that. Uh, and I think maybe that there were failures in the French educational system. We agree on that as well. We do. Um, we may even agree that it's, this is possibly not the best way to respond to a, a disagreement about the ways to talk about uh, religious figures. There are other be better ways of uh, communicating your dissatisfaction. Maybe a parent-teacher meeting. I think maybe a sternly worded letter to the board of management could have been a way to go. Maybe a, maybe a letter to the local newspaper. Yeah, I, Michael, again, Michael, when have the French historically ever went with the non-violent option? Uh, Second World War? Arguably, they were just violent against themselves when they deported all those Jews. Well, Vichy, I suppose you could act maybe as a form of suicide. 
moral or cultural suicide. But anyway, let's not kick on the French because they, up until the Second World War, they had a remarkably strong uh, record in the the arts of war. Yeah, but as I said, for those who say that uh, that the Islamic faith and and those from other countries, primarily, I assume most of the Muslim population in France comes from Algeria, but I could be. Well, North, 40 years out of date on that. North Africa, I suppose, yeah. But sub, Sub-Saharan Africa. You know, that those people don't assimilate? Again, I point to decapitation. That is tried and trusted, trusted French. Absolutely. I, 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 although, am I right in thinking that um, the last place to actually... Or am I, or am I wrong here? Was the last place to use the guillotine, was that Vietnam? The v- Vietnamese used to use the guillotine as a French colony. It was probably the only thing they kept of the French after they left. I'm told you can still get decent bread in uh, in, in in Vietnam and, and, and croissants. It's the only place, I remember somebody telling me that once you left India, the next, te- next place you got decent bread was Vietnam. I mean, there were benefits to being colonised by the French. Oh, absolutely. I mean... Their love of brutal repression to an incredible level was kind of a downside, but you can some great bread. You can overstate that as well, Gary. You know, let's face it, the French may have been French, but they weren't Belgians. It was good of the Belgians to set so such a high bar. Do you know who gets away with it a lot as well in the colonial stakes for absolute mindless, well, not mindless, but truly savage barbarity? The Germans... Because they didn't have a massive sort of imperial setup, and because they, what they had, they lost after the sec- I, I, the I first would also world point war. Out, Michael, that then you had the second world war, and we had other stuff to be angry at the Germans at. They do. And it just it, seemed like it was better to concentrate everything on that. It has been observed that they, they that for example, the way they treated certain certain tribes, ethnic groups in in Namibia, in, which was German Southwest Africa, was a kind of a practice run. For what they were going to do in the Second World War, so yeah. Do you think Leopold loved making jokes with people about how he'd give them a hand? Oh God, he had a large collection of them. We know that. Presumably, I actually don't know what they did with all those hands they took off people. But again, Michael, if you didn't want to lose a hand, should have hit your rubber quota. You should have hit your rubber quota. Harsh but fair, I think, is how the Chinese would describe that system. You see, there's where you lead Leo Varadkar. Leo would have gone in there and immediately implemented a policy where everybody had the right to ask for their hands not to be cut off. Yes, yes, a glorious new age after the passing of the law where you get to hope that your daughter isn't raped and then shot in the stomach to die. Right. Leo might have done something about that too. Actually, I mean, his tendency to leak things would have been very handy at that point. Because when the press found out about that, they were not happy. Actually, I think in this case it would be fair to say, Michael, that when people in general found out about it, no one was happy. Well, Roger Casement did did get did do something of a bang up job on that. And if you want a, uh, if you're feeling that your life is terrible and you're in a pit of despair, I recommend you read a history of uh, Belgian colonization in Africa. Because you're going to finish that book with a newfound appreciation for having all of your limbs, assuming you have all of your limbs, and or not having to deal with the Belgians. Yeah, and 
it's it's odd, isn't it? I mean, they are in some so many other ways such unremarkable people. I mean, it also shows the real benefit of timing. Like people say that timing is important, but I think this really demonstrates it because they got in there, they effectively committed genocide, but they did it just before it was unacceptable to commit genocide. I. I I think it was probably unacceptable to commit genocide, but it was just before it was it was possible for the fact that you were committing genocide to get out into the world very quickly. And also you could kind of give reasons for it, such as, well, I really wanted the rubber. And people did want the rubber. That, and that... people kind of nodded and smiled and went, we're not happy about it, but like we can see where you're coming from. Whereas I think if that was 10 years later... That might have gone a little bit different for the Belgians. Plantation economies were generally speaking not great. Rubber seems to be a peculiarly bad one because I'm told that the Dutch uh, management of the rubber plantations over in the Dutch East Indies, Sumatra, Borneo, that kind of thing is pretty horrible. And and we know that the rubber plantations in uh, in Brazil also some pretty grisly stuff coming out of that. So, you know, people always somebody talked about the, 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 the terrible history of sugar. And I think you could probably write a pretty terrible history of rubber as well. I like the way I, I, I come in here and I tell you that listeners are saying that you're there to lighten the mood and keep the show from being too dark and apparently slightly apocalyptic in tone. Yeah. And uh, then you just decide you want to have a chat about uh, the Congo. I, 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 gen- I That was not my... That was not my intention as I sat down an hour ago here, Gary. I can promise you that. Michael, we're conservatives. Intentions don't matter. Well, intentions matter. It's just intentions and outcomes matter. Oh, is that it? Yes. I forget sometimes. Yes. It's not, you see, it's not enough to do the good thing. You've got to mean to do the good thing. Otherwise, you don't get a toffee. What about during the, uh, the eugenics movement in America where the religious right were against it because they said it was playing God? Is that a win? Or is that just like accidental winning? Um, I'd say... Like if, you just, if you just do what the Bible says, eventually you're going to be right about something. Well, I'm I'm always willing to give the religious right in, in America at least at least a score a draw. Can't, I can't even draw you out on that one? No. <sighs> You're very stoic today. I'll tell you, I, I, what was the name of the great justice? He was the, he was, he's regarded as the pattern of Supreme Court judges. Um, he was involved. You know that ster- the famous sterilization case in the United States, was that he said three generations of idiots is enough. Oh yeah. Uh, he was a Republican nominee. He was the man. I think also responsible for the famous one, the freedom freedom of speech is not the freedom to cry fire in a crowded theater. Uh, that was Wendell Holmes. Wendell Holmes, Oliver Wendell Holmes, just as Oliver Wendell Holmes for the protection and health of the state. And then they had a war against the Nazis and everyone realised that eugenics was wrong. Although actually several countries kept the eugenics programmes for about 40 years afterwards. Well, Sweden. Then we realised it was wrong and we stopped doing that. Sweden has not, not exactly a blameless track record, track record on that kind of stuff, which continued well after the Second World War. And of course, we have to remember that mostly the eugenics was being pushed by our friends, the as on the on the progressive side of politics, because it was science, Gary. It was good. It was all about science, science and Darwin, that we were going to make the world a better, happier, 
healthier, health and cleverer place by using the principles of the science of eugenics. Happy genes, eugenics, happy genes. So on the uh, on the French thing, obviously you should not decapitate your children's teacher if he shows the children a satirical or humorous photo of any icon, uh, be that by knife or by guillotine. We don't recommend either of them. In fact, Michael, I would go so far as to offer one of our rare blanket recommendations that you not do that on decapitating your children's teacher in general. I I would row in behind that. I think that as a, we could take a policy, a firm policy line on this, don't decapitate your children's teachers. I know it's 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 uh, it's a bit out there, but I think sometimes Michael, you have to, you know, you have to have the courage of your convictions and make a stand. You have to take a stand sometimes, and regardless this, of public opinion on it. Uh, there's a there was a, a, a politician who was uh, the cabinet, I think, in the thirties. With uh, at the same time, he was a contemporary of Churchill's, and he, he, even on situations like this, he was famous for not willing his unwillingness to take a stand. Somebody said of him that he had sat on the fence so long the iron had entered his soul, and I think that we would want to avoid that. We uh, we want to make sure the iron doesn't enter our soul. What would Julius Avola say to that? No, no, no! <laughs> Stop. <laughs> We are ending this podcast now. Julius Avola is the the best author to pick something he said that he non-controversially says on the way to something else. And then when it comes up in conversation, go, well, you know, I agree with Avola when he said. And something absolutely, unarguably fine. Like, for example, like, for example, you know, the SS are grand, but they're just not tough enough. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you've just got to tell the SS they're too soft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm glad we see we've moved away from the controversial into the downright no, no, mad. No, no, Avola is not even controversial. I went on to... Now, for those who don't know, Julius Avola is, was an Italian fascist philosopher who, uh, he is way out there. But he's not controversial, Michael. I went on to Amazon. He wrote about 20 or 30 books. Not a single one has less than a four... Four and a half star rating. Yeah, and Gary, the only thing about that is that, that that actually makes me slightly wonder about the quality of the Amazon star rating for its books. Uh, that's, And I would also say that Duvall isn't actually a fascist philosopher. He wouldn't have described himself as such. No, he, no, he wouldn't have. But we're going to use it because otherwise it requires us to explain Avola, and that is not happening. He was a radical, a radical conservative. I think he would have said it was ever a radical reactionary philosopher. So uh, there you go. Gentile was the philosopher of fascism. And I think that before you go any further in this, and this is just, we have gone out onto that frozen lake quite far enough. The ice is getting thinner by well, the I moment. Mean, you, didn't, you didn't bite when I tried to goad you earlier, so I just need to keep escalating and throwing things at you. And, and eventually, think, it's well, Julius Avola. And I think that it was a lovely. It was. It's been a lovely day. I would like to wish you all have a, a a pleasant and happy Sunday. And hopefully, next week we shall find ourselves still on number on uh, locked down and in the happy position that we can get haircuts willy nilly and uh, without uh, having to make 
uh, illegal journeys to countries in Southern Europe. But until Wednesday, where hopefully both of us shall still be here, heads attached, I'd like to wish you a good week and stay safe. All the best.